Hey, what's going on? Welcome to Angular Air. I am your host, Justin Schwarzenberger. And on today's episode, we have some discussion and talk, and, and we're going to dive into test-driven development and a bunch of stuff around that. Should be pretty cool. Looking forward to it. So let's get this thing started. Uh, first, we'll say hi to our panelists, and then we'll meet our guest. Joining us today as panelists, we've got Mike Brocky. Mike, what's going on? Uh, not too much. Uh, I, when I hear panelists, I don't know if that's plural or not. So you, I think you get away with one there, whether or not you're saying panelist or panelists. And I don't even know if the microphone picked that up. So <laughs> no, yeah, I totally left off the the final S. Didn't you? I mean, right, one. Right? Uh, I'm good with that. That that works for me. <laughs> All right. And our guest today joining us again, uh, I believe it was about almost two years ago, maybe a little less than two years ago that you were on, uh, uh, Eunice Jaidi. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. See you again. Yeah, it's been a while. It's been like two years ago, I guess, but I'll come back. I'll come back. Yeah, it doesn't, it doesn't <laughs> feel that long. But when I went back, I checked it, looked up the episode. I'm like, wow, 2017. Okay, yeah, that was that was yeah. a minute ago. <laughs> it was the same. It was like six months ago, but more. yeah, <laughs> I'm just flies, right? Time flies. Well, we're stoked to have you back. Looking forward to this, so for sure. Uh, do you want to tell our viewers a little bit about yourself uh, for those that don't know? Yeah, so I live in Lyon, in France, and um. um I don't, don't like to say I'm a freelancer because I'm kind of the opposite of freelancer because I'm not like looking for long-term missions. I'm just trying to uh, help companies through trainings and coachings. And I talk about coaching a lot because I've been extreme programming for 10 years. So I like to uh, propagate that culture about extreme pro programming and real agile, not paperwork agile. <laughs> And uh, the the other thing is trying to explain that extreme programming is not like some extremists or I don't know like some crazy people just tap tapping on their keyboards. It's more it's totally different. They're human beings. <laughs> nice, nice. Maybe we can uh, do a quick overview of what extreme what you mean by extreme programming, right? Right, and agile, just a very high level overview. Um, so like one of the main concepts about extreme programming is uh, trying to reduce the amount of work, oh, oh, actually to maximize the amount of work not done. So every time you have to do something, the first thing you're gonna ask yourself, do I really have to do that? Does it like, and try to think about every move you're gonna do in your job, in your development, you try to calculate the uh, economics behind it. So how much money would it bring to your product? Well, how much value it's gonna bring? It's not. Oh, this is sound. This sounds cool. So just let, let's put it in there. No, you got to think about the value it brings. So every feature, every button, everything. And the other thing is trying to reduce also what we call um, the code inventory. You know, like it's just the code which is there in some pull requests, some branch, and it's not really. So you want to reduce the time between, like the, the time to market to the maximum. It's really from you without sacrificing the quality. And the other thing I love about extreme programming, and we forget a lot about it, is collective ownership. It's really different from lots of agile teams because you have like generalists uh, in your team, like everybody's doing a little bit of everything. Of course, you're gonna have that 
guy who is the only one who is like a brilliant guy who knows Ivy a lot and the rest of the team doesn't know much about it. But it's all right. He's going to teach the others. He, he's going to pair program with them. He's going to and the day where he's going to leave the company or something, it's all right. Like the, the team can continue working on that, even though they don't have the expertise that he has. But you don't like split uh, through silos. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> oh. Cool. Yeah. Um, a couple things on that. Uh, you kind of talk about like this understanding, right, of, of the business needs and, and the value to the business. Uh, I kind of wonder about how much individual developers that are maybe on a project, right, and on like an Angular project and they're working on implementing features, like how, how important is it uh, or, or how do you get to a point where you can kind of have the mentality of thinking or awareness of thinking of the business needs along with the feature that you're there to implement and, and how much onus is that on an individual developer to be concerned about that or versus getting it directive from somebody else who's like project management right mm, i get that um actually it's one thing i see a lot in like the first question i ask one of the first questions i ask when i meet a team is uh, do you know the metrics you get from your app? How much money this button brings? And is this really critical feature or not? And you realize that they care about it, but they don't have the data. They don't have the input. And you're like, oh, do you have like your, what's your analytics application? They're like, mm, I don't know. Do you have access to that? Mm, no, it's the marketing service. And you're like, no, I, I, you should care about it. And the management should give you access to that. Like, so, because people are looking forward for that. Like, you want to know why are you writing this code? The reason. Yeah, for sure. It's that dissemination of information to help empower our development teams, right? To, to have the information they need to make the, help them make these decisions or, or at least have them help bring awareness. Like I'm working on this. This seems like an extra amount of stuff that may not be used. Can I bring it up to somebody so we can think about it collectively, whether we want to implement it or not? And even, sure. even if the uh, technologists or the developers on a project aren't the ones implementing it, uh, or excuse me, aren't the ones coming up and validating the ideas or anything else, um, it's still nice to have that justification to know why you're doing something. It helps with a team's motivation to know the why, not just the what. Exactly. That's exactly the point. And you touched on uh, the the thought process of of not writing this extra code that we might not need, right? Um, and I think that kind of falls in line with like test driven development as well, right? When we think about doing test driven development, we we write for the API that implements our desired functionality, and not us on our own thinking about what else should we manifest that that could be this scenario, right? Is that correct? It's exactly, it's exactly the point. So you really try to focus on what you really need and TDD, so test-driven development, the fact of like uh, the idea of writing tests before writing the code helps you define the scope of what you're doing. So you know when you're done and you don't just start implementing extra methods just in case. But, yeah, right. Just in case. Yeah. That's always something that we, I, we always tend to find ourselves doing. Oh, yeah, just in case, right? I, I need to cover this scenario, but maybe you don't. So that's cool. Very cool. There's an interesting um, side of doing test driven development is the self-discipline to control yourself, to not get too far ahead of yourself, uh, to essentially write code that isn't tested yet. If there's no test for it, then there's no need for the code. Uh, so to have that discipline of not getting carried away, of starting to do things uh, without that is a little bit, I find that challenging myself when I've uh, gone through the exercise of using TDD. 
Yeah, that, that's exactly the point. Yeah, I think the thing is that us like developers are generally creative. And so we need something to control this <laughs> creativity. <laughs> we need some boundaries somehow. <laughs> sometimes it's time, sometimes it's tests. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's an interesting um, point, though, about the creative aspect. Because if you talk to anybody who's never written software, I don't think many people who haven't actually gone through and written software understand the creative aspects of actually writing software. It's just, oh, you're just writing logic to be able to do something. There's nothing um, creative or subjective about it. It's just objective. Good, good point. Good, good observation. <laughs> All right. So um, you want to get into it? Yeah, totally. So I got a couple of slides here and I'm going to show you right now and and some live coding so we can experiment it because we we're talking about code. So it's good to see some code. <laughs> nice. Nice. <laughs> okay. So share my screen. Oh, sharing the whole screen. Can you, can you see it? Yep. Perfect. Okay. So it's just um, a simple slide. I'd like to, or I'll, we'll show you the, um, the relationship between automated tests and that. So first thing like um, we, we think about when we write tests is, okay, we're going to have less bugs. And that's true. You're going to have less regressions. It doesn't mean you will not have bugs. You will have bugs because you didn't test everything. But when you find a bug, you write a test that proves that the bug is there. And then you fix the, you fix the test by fixing the code. And the bug is fixed. Mm, it happened to me once, like, or even more. Like I'm like, oh, I think the bug is coming from this code. So I write the test. I'm like, OK, I'm going to write the test that, that proves that the bug is coming from there. And then the test is passing. So <laughs> it was not. <laughs> It was not there. The bug was somewhere else. So, and then I actually, I was happy because I wrote the test like in two minutes, and I was about to refactor something for hours. So, it saved my life. Well, exaggerate a little bit. And the other thing is, okay, if you have less bugs, you have quality. And the thing is, you've got like these uh, things you have on top that you don't see from the outside. Like from the outside, you only see the the external quality. You have some products that have like a good external quality, but the code inside is a little bit rotten and it still works, but people get stressed out refactoring and everything and fixing bugs all the time. And, uh, and one day you get like such a bad internal quality that will reflect on the external quality. So you will, it will end up affecting the external quality. And oops, sorry. I, really, I really like that point. Because um, I think that's something that we, we kind of don't think about, right? Is that, yeah, the, the app in the browser or wherever it's running looks great, implements the features fine, right? But our underlying code to pull that off could have been, you know, very stressful to work with going forward and, and being able to surface that and identify that. Yeah, that's a great point. I love it. Exactly. And one other point is you don't test every change manually. And this is something we don't think about. Like, I don't know, you know that time you're writing your reactive form and you're testing it manually? 
how much time it takes, we don't realize because we're focused on what we're doing, but it actually takes way more time than just an automated test that says, okay, not okay, not okay, okay. So that's also something we don't check a lot. Like we don't, we don't take it into account. Like, okay, I didn't waste time testing, but actually I was testing manually and we don't calculate that time. And so we end up developing faster because if the test is passing, Okay, you're done. If it's not passing, you refactor and you make it work. And but while testing manually, you spend time testing it manually. So if you develop faster, you got better time to market. So you can release uh, more frequently and faster. And the other thing I like about automated tests is that it gives confidence. It gives confidence to the whole team because you're like, mm, I know this app is really well tested well tested, so I can refactor that thing. I can try to remove this line of code because I don't understand it, so I'm gonna just remove it. Okay, so it's useless, <laughs> it's all right. But if you have an application which is not tested automatically, you don't have the confidence to change it. You don't have the confidence to add features, etc. So sometimes I've met some teams where the team was like, hmm, can we really implement this feature? Oh, no, we're not going to implement it because it's too risky because we don't control the consequences. Um, and so if you have confidence, you got faster developments because you don't have like, you know, that meeting where you're like, oh, okay, how are we going to implement this? We need some architecture thing or I don't know because we don't know the impact. So we start to try and evaluate it, to evaluate the impact, etc. So, and the other point about confidence is, it's, is that it's good for collective ownership because if you have tests that cover your whole code, like that's, that's what makes uh, great open source products work like Angular and other libraries and frameworks is that when I try to contribute to some library, some open source library, I'm confident because it's tested. Because I don't know the whole code, I don't know the team, I don't know the maintainers, but I'm like, okay, I'm gonna try to add this feature. If I break something, then the test will be broken. So I can contribute. So there is some collective ownership there where anyone in the team and even people from the outside can contribute. You don't have to ask that lead developer, that some key person who knows the code. So everyone can change something. And collective ownership is also good for time to market because there's no key developer. Like you don't have a lead developer. You don't need a lead developer because everyone uh, is uh, is a lead developer. Because we don't all own the code, we have the architecture, we know how tests are working so we can bring our changes and we can deliver faster because there, we don't have to have that meeting and talk about this or this feature. And the other thing is, of course, refactoring, which is changing the structure of the code, not the behavior, but just the structure of the code. So if you don't have tests, it's really tricky <laughs> to refactor. So you don't refactor and you end up with legacy code that nobody Nobody's managing, nobody's controlling. And of course, this brings quality because refactoring means getting rid of uh, useless code. It means making code more explicit and allowing us to uh, improve the quality of the product by not having some useless or dead code there. And of course, it's good for collective ownership because I'm 
like I meet some function there that I don't understand because I didn't write it and someone wrote it there and, and it's not very clear. So I can refactor it to make it clearer for everyone. So, and I can do that because I have automated tests. So it's collective ownership because if there's a function there which is not tested and you don't understand it, you want to bring something to it, you're going to ask the developer who made it. You're going to ask him to refactor it or change the signature or something. And mm, this is not good for collective ownership. And of course, there is a, a strong relationship between confidence and refactoring. Because if you have confidence, you refactor. If you refactor, you get confidence. So, And you can't have confidence if you don't have tests. And you can refactor if you don't have tests. So mm, I think tests are really key for if you care about confidence and refactoring. And one last thing I love about it is that we always think about our code. But I mean, like when you start an Angular application, we all know that you have 300 megabytes of dependencies and you have like millions of codes and, and dependencies move a lot, especially in the JavaScript environment. And if you update your dependencies manually, it's going to take a lot of time. But if you upgrade them automatically, like or frequently at least, and for example, on uh, my application wishtag.com, uh, which is a wishlist application, we update like every day uh, our dependencies, and we realize that we update like four dependencies per day. So that's how the JavaScript world is moving fast, and we can't like hire someone for doing it. <laughs> we can't do it manually, so we can do it automatically because we have tests that cover us. So if you don't have tests, you cannot update your dependencies or you're careless. <laughs> I mean, like it's crazy. It's very dangerous. And, and of course, you get less bugs because you have the latest dependencies, which is a good point. Uh, and of course, it's good for quality to have the latest features. I'm not even talking about security. I'm just talking about quality here. And the last thing, which is like my favorite part, <laughs> is pleasure. <laughs> You know, so if you have an application with good quality that works fine, and if you have collective ownership, which means you can go on holidays whenever you want, and the team is can keep working, and there's no stress, and if there's no stress, then there's pleasure, and I think it's really important to have pleasure in the morning. Like if you want to go to work, you have to to have some positive thoughts before going to work. <laughs> I have. And, um... I, there's a lot of errors on here, and it's amazing how all these things are interrelated. Um, I did have one other uh, aspect of automated tests that some people may not consider is the, the dynamic documentation that they provide. It exactly really shows, yeah, it's the like a, a living documentation to the point not just of um, keeping things up to date uh, because they have to be up to date, otherwise they'll fail, is it's a good way for people to get started with a new library or a new application is to just read the test to see how things work. Um, so education is um, the point that I kept on having in my head as I think about automated tests is for educating new people uh, into a library or an application. Uh, I totally agree. And it's exactly the next point, next point I was talking about, I was going to talk about. <laughs> And so it's I'll, I'll exactly just mute, mute myself for now. <laughs> no, no, it's, it's like people will think like we prepared it. <laughs> yeah, so it's the best documentation, as you said. And I didn't, I don't talk about it here, but it's exactly what you said. Like, um, it's very good for new developers that join 
the the team so they they read the test they read there's they read the style guide there's no style guide because they read the code and they understand the style guide they just imitate and that's how i guess how i started developing and how a lot of start developing like you join a team and you start imitating so it's quite good if like you have tests it helps you understand things so the first thing about uh unit tests as a documentation is that they are up to date and that's really cool because that's a that's one of the biggest problems with the documentation. The biggest challenges is keeping up, uh, keeping up to date. Uh, so you have the test for the code you're using, the code you have in your IDE. Then it's you have symmetry, and this is very important. It means if you're using some version of an application or a library or anything, you get the test for that version. Because sometimes you're like using an old version and like looking for the documentation and you don't find. The, the right one or and the other thing we forget about is the surface the surface of the tests for example angular documentation is really amazing today but it was like smaller before it didn't cover that much and still today like uh, not only with angular but with lots of open source libraries and applications um when you want to understand something and it's not always documented but you've got tests and you go read. That's how I do in general. Like I want to understand how things work. I go to the spec files, I go to the tests to understand how they work. So you got more documentations, uh, more documentation in the specs, in the unit tests than in the documentation, the public documentation in general. And and I love this. This is one of my favorite examples. Uh, do you know where it comes from? <laughs> Which library? Is that um, uh, Marble Jazz? Yeah, RX. RX. It's from, it's from R. Okay. Uh, but yeah, and RxJS. So it's uh, exactly um, it's exactly the point here. So you have it's a unit test of the count operator that gets a stream and it counts how many um, how many events uh, there there are inside and so it should count three and the cool thing here what I love about rxjs which is like um, everything related to reactive programming and streams in general is quite tricky to test but what I love about rxjs is how uh, they implemented the tooling to test using ASCII arc uh, streams. So that's the first thing. So it makes it really easy to understand. Okay, so I have a stream with three events with some uh, time between the events. And at the end, I'm going to expect using the count operator a stream that will end at the same time and which will provide uh, a count of three. And the crazy thing is that they developed a uh, tool a little helper that which is called as diagram and actually the diagrams you see in the rxjs official documentation is generated thanks to the unit test so this is one of my favorite examples of how uh testing is related to documentation and it's the best documentation well actually i've heard about some issues with this as diagram with some operators but Still, it's good. It works <laughs> for most of the time. 
That's really cool. Yeah, I've, uh, I love the, um, the way that you simulate the, the streams with the different characters, right? With the dashes being a period of time, the ABC being your values and the pipe being like the end of the stream, yeah. stuff like that. And you can, you can also do errors. What is it like a hash or? or yeah, I guess it's, it's the hash, yeah. Error, right, from your stream. And, um, but I did not know about the as diagram. So that's, that's awesome too, that it will actually generate that uh, image. Very cool. Yeah, it's quite fun. And um, so I was just going to show you a last slide before I move into some code. And this one is about uh, TDD, so test-driven development, which is nothing more than writing tests first. And it's somewhat the same uh, kind of slide than the one before with the relationship between uh, TDD and uh, the, the, the consequences of TDD. And so the first thing is that it helps you focus on the feature. So while you're writing your test, you're just focusing about how, uh, what you need. You're not thinking about the implementation. You're not thinking about, hmm, what library I'm gonna use? How am I gonna code that? You just, what do I need? You're just focusing on what you need. And this is very important to focus on uh, the feature first, not getting, um, confused with the implementation and then focus on the implementation while once the tests are implemented. And the other thing I love about uh, TDD is that you know when you're done. When it's green, it's all right, you can go home. <laughs> you know, you know, it's, you, you, you finished. Because when you don't have tests, you're always like, hmm, does it work? Does it handle this edge case? Uh, am I done? Am I not done? Should I read my, my code again? I don't know. So it's quite nice to know when you're done. And it avoids artificial complexity, which is like one of the, the, the biggest issues in general with code is that you try to find a huge uh, complex solution for a simple problem. So the TDD helps you stay focused on the scope and only implement what is needed to fix that issue. You don't start adding some conditions depending on some parameters that will be there or not, if you know that they will always be there. And of course, it will help you have less code. That's I, it's not always the case, but in with most teams, if you have TDD, uh, in general, TDD team, teams where you implement uh, TDD, when you implement tests first are also uh, pair programming and things like that, which also helps to reduce the code. And this is something you see a lot with extreme programming and uh, TDD in general is that you can end up with half the code same thing because you don't have this code there. And the other thing is that when you write tests first, it's not coupled to, to the implementation because you're just writing your tests on like the, the highest interface, like I want to call this method, it should do this, it should do this. You don't care, it's an abstraction. You don't care about what's happening inside. So you get tests which are not coupled to the implementation, which is very good because it helps you have like cheap refactoring. And it's very cool to have cheap refactoring because that's one of the most um, common problems with testing is that like, uh, if you unit tests really small pieces of code, and that's another topic we can talk about it next time. It's what is the size of a unit of code, and it's very interesting because a small unit, super small unit, 
following the super it's that uh, you will end up with lots of tests, of course, but your tests will be coupled to your implementation. So every time you refactor something, you've got to touch the tests. And a good size for tests is the one that will let you refactor later without touching the tests. And that's really amazing when you get that feeling like you have an application working with the tests and you start refactoring and you don't change any test, nothing breaks and it's all right. And the last thing about uh, TDD, uh, it's not the last thing, but one of the things with TDD is that you share the intention. Before writing the code, you share the intention with your colleagues about what you're going to write, what you're going to implement, what's, what's the feature you're trying to implement there. And so you can get early feedback. If you share your tests before implementing them, implementing the code that will fix the tests, uh, you get feedback from your friends and colleagues. And so they'll tell you, why are you writing that? Oh, you didn't think about that case. Oh, okay. So it's quite early. It's not, you know, that code review when you review someone who's been coding alone for five days and you're like, oh, should I tell him <laughs> on Friday? And the other thing is that um, or when you write tests first, you don't have to be focused a lot when you implement <laughs> because you just want to make the tests pass. So I can have uh, concentration problems, for example, for instance, concerning me. And so when I write tests, I like having someone next to me, at least for that at that moment, so we think about everything. But then once I'm implementing the feature, I don't have to be that focused at just like making it work. And I guess in some near future, this might be automated. So we'll just focus on the tests. And I love that. This is like a, uh, a little... Uh, I don't know what call that. Uh, well, it's parentheses it's about uh, Yuri Shakid and Dominic Elm uh, at NG Vikings. Like they did something with machine learning for, to generate code. And um, so the other thing is that because you know when you're done, so it helps you stop coding. So it's good to code being relaxed when you code your feature. And it avoids also artificial complexity because you're not like overthinking. You just trying to make the test pass. And of course, get less code because same effect. And the last bad thing about TDD is that you get addicted to it. <laughs> so you want to write tests all the time. So and you got to control that because it's not always easy. So you got to figure out when it makes sense. <laughs> One of the things I take away from this as you're describing all of this is that, you know, we're talking at a higher level about test-driven development for improving our code, right? But all these things that you list out, I think, help improve our developer experience, um, both as, as what we go through on a day-to-day -day to write code, as well as how we approach writing code. We, we start getting in a better state for us personally by doing, by following all those things and seeing all those things come to fruition, right? Um, so it's more than just, you know, better code for our applications, but it's better, you know, experience for us, better knowledge for us as well as developers. It's, it's, it's exactly that. And the funny thing is that uh, Kent Beck, who's uh, some kind of creator of extreme programming, it says something very interesting. Like, I don't remember where, when I've read that or seen that, and he says, man, it would be so cool if we didn't have to write tests. I mean, like, we don't care about tests. I mean, I'd love not to write tests. I'd love not 
to even code just to bring features. But it happens that today it really helps the developer experience and help us like be better developers. <laughs> so, okay. okay, I'm gonna show you just um, one uh, one last thing about um, the limitations of. Oh, sorry, I didn't share the right screen. I guess. Okay. And I'm gonna show you, yeah, some limitations about TDD before like uh, implementing some tests. So the first thing is that uh, TDD alone doesn't enforce collective ownership. You can do TDD on your own code, your own branch alone. It doesn't encourage small changes, which is very important like to, to do like some small additions to the code that you share with others. And it doesn't solve asymmetry problems like the fact that you've got some code on your computer which is not the same as the one on your other, uh, on the other developers branch than what you get on the staging environment is not the same as the one you got in production etc so if you have small changes we can get like the same code everywhere now all the branches so i've been using this uh variant of TDD for a while because what happened to me once is that I started refactoring something and like it took me like four or five hours and it was in the night and I was getting crazy so I just went to bed and the day after I reverted and I decided that I'd, I'd never code for more than a few minutes before committing some change that works <laughs> so if it takes more time then it's a bad idea and the idea of timebox of timebox TDD is that you code, you run the tests. If it, if they fail, it's all right. You fix them, and if it works, if it's okay, then you commit and push. But in parallel, you run a timer, and after like few minutes, like five minutes, for instance, if the tests are uh, not passing or doesn't even care actually, after a few minutes, it will revert all the changes you have. So you always try to write like micro changes, which is very tricky. And the other variant of this is TCR. And TCR is an idea from Odmund Strome. Uh, and it was uh, an experience, um, something that was experienced uh, with uh, with Kent Beck from Extreme Programming and, and two other guys, Lars and Ole. And the idea is this one is, let's code, run the tests. If the tests fail, then we revert. If the test passes, then we commit and push, <laughs> which is totally crazy. And we're going to try this out, and you're going to see it's really amazing. It doesn't work for everything, but for refactoring, for example, it's really, really cool. OK, so are you ready for some live code? Yes, I am ready to see this. <laughs> As you're getting the live code set up, I want to give you uh, credit. Um, I love all the images uh, on all the different graph pieces to kind of drive home as well. Oh, really? <laughs> Thank you. Great. <laughs> cool. Uh, so, oh, this is not the right project. So this is the one. So it's just an Angular application where I've set up Jest uh, using a super cool uh, schematic 
but from the Brybug, I guess, company, and it helps you set up Jest quite easily. Anyway, um, I'm not going to talk a lot about Jest uh, compared to Je Jasmine and Karma, etc. But it happens to be very interesting for um, for uh, TDD and uh, TTDD and TCR. So I'm going to start with TDD and uh, Timebox TDD. So I'm running Yarn test uh, watch, which calls just watch. So I'm just watching my files and just running the test for every change. So uh, the cool thing with Jest is that it only calls, uh, runs the tests that have been uh, concerning the code that I've changed. So right now I didn't change anything. And the other thing I'm going to set up here is uh, limited whip. Uh, I'm using IntelliJ, but it works with WebStorm too. I'm not aware of any plugin for VS Code for the moment, but uh, I think it's going to uh, appear soon. Uh, it's called so this one is called Limited Whip, and you can control, for example, uh, how many lines of change you can have. And if you if I have like more than 80 lines, I have a warning that tells me, oh, you have to commit your changes right now. And this is uh, already revert, so it will revert my changes after five minutes. So I'm going to use this one for the moment. So as you can see here at the bottom, the auto reverse this stops because I didn't change anything. But if I create a file or something, I don't know, I'm just creating some file here. Ah, didn't work because I created from the console, from the terminal. I'm going to create it here. So I'm going to create some carts, cart spec.ts. OK. Ah, OK, so the timer started. So I have five minutes. If I don't make a commit in five minutes, it's going to revert my changes. <laughs> I'm not going to ask any questions. Just go. Just go. <laughs> uh, OK. So here we go. So the tests are running here. So what I want is I want to describe my test. I'm going to implement a cart where I'm going to put some sandwiches inside. And Thanks to Jest, I can implement my IDs with the its.todo, which is just a test which is doesn't doesn't run anything, but just tells you what you're gonna write. So the card should add sandwiches. Okay, so this is my first idea. And okay, of course the test is passing because it's running nothing. If you're using Jasmine, you just have to exclude the test and with exit, it's just the same. And I can already make a commit. <laughs> so it's going to reset my timer. <laughs> so I love to do it. There, you can use different, I love to put emojis in my code, in my commit messages. So there's Gitmoji, which is like uh, some guy who prepares a list of uh, images you can use for different kind of commits. But I like to use this one, which is like a uh, work in progress. Uh, so, or, or some other one like, uh, um, while well, anyone is fine. And you know, back, what I want to do is... Back in the day, we used to sorry? use the hard hat right on our websites that were coming soon when we built websites. So the <laughs> barrier looks the same. Yeah, okay. Oh, God. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> and so, okay, uh, add sandwiches to cars. So that's my goal. Or you can, if you want to be more specific, you can be more specific. And I like to put... Oh, I like to always remind using some imagery like this, the goal, what are we going to do? I want to add sandwiches to the to cart. So everyone 
keeps focused about what's the real feature, what's the goal behind it. It's even if you're using some feature, some issue ID or whatever, it's quite nice to have something. Explicit. Okay, before you commit that, don't commit to restart the timer. I just want to make a quick comment. So we still have some time, right? 244. <laughs> uh, oh, you didn't want me to commit? Oh, you already commit, you already restart. Okay, well, I'm, now I'm eating into the next time. Okay. Uh, I was going to ask you earlier when you were talking about how can you share this intent with other people on the team, right? Without having written the test yet. And so this example of how you're doing the it dot to do, yeah. I guess that's how you would do it, right? You're, you're essentially pseudo coding your TDD, yet you're committing it so that the rest of the team can see that. Exactly. So, and everything I commit is pushed. And that's another topic is we should all work on the same branch, which is totally crazy, but very interesting. And there's another concept. So I'm not going to talk about it a lot here, but all your colleagues will keep pulling automatically. They will keep pulling all the changes. So everyone is working live on the same, on the same thing, but you only push the code which is working. So that's exactly the idea of uh, all this. I can reduce the timer if you want to see the revert. <laughs> and uh, I, I kind of just want to see that to be like in the middle of typing something. Is it like even if a file is unsaved? Yeah, yeah, totally. <laughs> that's crazy. Uh, I don't know if I can go lower than two minutes. No, no if you do, do two minutes and then like right before the timer expires, you can copy your code. Yeah, I'll do that. And I'm I can. It doesn't clear your clipboard. <laughs> Actually, it removes everything on my hard drive, even my holiday pictures. <laughs> it's like Mission Impossible self <laughs> And my, my computer burns, actually. See ya. <laughs> Um, oh, okay, so I get the total price of the sandwiches in my cart, okay? And so this is another idea. I can put it right now, but I'm not going to get focused on that for the moment. It's just going to share it with others. And the other thing is that I can, okay, just exclude the test and start implementing it. And you've noticed I love emojis. So if somehow I do commit to this, uh, people will see that it's... It's it's work in progress. So what I want, I want to create. Hey, oh yeah, the timer didn't reset. Okay, it's all right. And um, and the cool thing is that you can start with just what I call com comment driven development. So just hmm, what I want. Uh, I'm gonna create a cart like this. I don't know JavaScript. I don't care about JavaScript. Just how am I going to implement that? How is it going to, it's going to give me a cart and I'm going to add sandwich and oh yeah, I need sandwiches. Oh, okay. So I'm going to put a burger in it. By the way, is a burger a sandwich? I don't know. And so burger is a new sandwich. It has a name and it has a price. And mm, Okay, I'm going to need another one. It's butter sandwich. It's just butter and butter. Should be tasty. And I'm going to add the burger. I'm not shopping at your cart, though. <laughs> <laughs> you don't like butter? <laughs> and... Uh, I got to check the list, so I'm going to check that. Mm, okay, it's not amazing, but I'm going to implement this get sandwich list. Meanwhile, we find out something better, and I'm going to check that this should be equal to 
burger and butter. And now I can already commit this again, okay? But I'm not gonna do it because I want the timer to reset just so you can see, okay? And people will see, okay, this test is skipped because it's work in progress, okay. And now once you've committed this, ah, oh, okay, it's all right. And now once you've committed this, you can create cards. Okay, I'm just gonna implement that. This could be just some plain English. You can also do like add burger to cart. I mean, it's all right. It's just the idea. And then you realize that you have to mock things or I don't know. And okay, I need a burger. I need, ah. Uh, Pressure's on, the timer's running. Timer's running. <laughs> And cart add sandwich and burger and butter and sandwich list, which is cart gets sandwich list timer timer. Oops. Ah. Copy. <laughs> and then is that allowed? Are you allowed to do that? No, you're not. <laughs> oh, actually, you can because most of the time you'll have to change lots of files, so it's going to get really tricky quite quite early. Ah, oh, okay. And so the next step, the cool thing about TDD is that uh, you can count on your IDE to generate the code, and that's the cool thing. So I'm going to create the class. I'm going to create the sandwich, okay, I'm going to add the sandwich, and I get the right signature, oops, uh, uh, wow. you almost had it, <laughs> yeah, I love it, <laughs> and exactly, now, the cool, the problem with TypeScript is that I cannot commit this because it doesn't compile. But with JavaScript or dynamic language, you don't care if the class doesn't exist, so you can commit this. But now I'm going to just, OK, just do this. And I can make commits right now. OK, I don't care if it's the same name, it's the same commit message. It's not a topic. And now I'm going to create the cart like I did before, create the sandwich. So this is the name, and this is the price. And I can do this. I can throw an error because it's not implemented yet. <laughs> so I can commit this code and I can even, what I do is that I also mark the class and the functions and everything as deprecated. So nobody's using them because I'm working on them. So I can commit this code, I can push it to production. I don't care because everyone, everybody can see that it's not to be used. So wait, if you, if you commit that, then the test is gonna fail, right? Oh, no, you um, exit out. Okay, sorry. Okay, got it. Oh, yeah, it's excluded, so it's not failing. Exactly. You got the point. And I can create this. And I can deprecate it too. And okay, cool. Okay, commit. Oh, I got errors. And now I just have to make my tests pass. Okay, so they're failing. 
Okay, because they throw errors. So here, I don't have to think a lot. <laughs> I just have to fix the errors. So I can just make the two properties ah. public. Okay, next error. Um, oh, oh, didn't. Okay, it's add sandwich. This, that, sandwich lists. Respect and immutability here. Sandwich, create fields. It's an array of sandwiches. And now I can give it some decent name. Okay. I guess this one is implemented, but the tests are not passing, so I cannot make it flag it as done. And now I'm going to implement this one. Uh, sandwich list. And okay, I have a problem. Oops, sorry. Sorry, it's too zoomed in, so I cannot read my, very well, but my sandwich list is not initialized. So initialize it here. Cool. Okay, so my test is passing, and I can already make a commit. <laughs> yeah, notice that I have only two minutes now, so I got to be quick. And it's not deprecated anymore. This one is not deprecated anymore. This one is not deprecated anymore. And ta-da, it's done. OK? Very cool. So that's time box TDD. Of course, two minutes can be can be tough, but maybe five minutes is better. It will really depend on your language and the project, etc. But the longer uh, the timer is, the more risk you take because you're gonna get a revert, mm -hmm. and you're not allowed to stash or <laughs> things like that. That's not the point. The point is trying to be um, to, to to commit quickly. And now uh, I'm gonna just implement quickly the get total price just. And well, I'm going to duplicate this, which is not very nice because I should have a B for each or something, but I'll do that later. And I just want to get expect cards that get total price to equal uh, 16. Just going to do it in one shot because I don't have that much time. And just reduce, get the total price and the sandwich. And so it's total plus sandwich that price and zero. I hope it's going to work. OK, it's good. I can commit that. Oh, I didn't flag the feature as done. But anyway, forget it. Well, it's all right. And by the way, when this happens, like for example, I do this. And this is uh, total price. Okay, and then you realize that it was not work in progress. It was done. It's all right. I do this a lot because, like, I'm working on it, and I'm like, "Oh, it's done." I'm like, "Okay, it's all right." I'm gonna allow an empty commit, and there, put like my conventional commit with feature, blah blah blah, with some emoji or and. Uh, get total price. Uh, oops. Okay, you can you can do this. So you can have like a nice history, and you can add like all the stuff. That's when you're done. But before you were not done, so you don't care. Anyway, so my tests are here, and now what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna use 
uh, what I'm using here is TCR. <laughs> TCR is, I implemented a plugin for Jest, and it's uh, here. It's called Wishtag Jest TCR. You can, I'll share the links for that later. And it's quite, the configuration is quite straightforward. It's just a specific configuration that adds a special reporter. And now this is going to get, this is mad. <laughs> now it's really mad. Now I'm going to forget, I'm going to disable the whip limited thing, the timer, two minutes timer. Now every time I run the tests, if they pass, it's OK. But if they fail for some reason, I don't like here. It's reverted. So every time you run the test, they're going to revert if they don't pass. So I'm going to run them here manually. I'm not using watch when using TCR, because if you're watching in TCR and at the same time, it's going to be really tricky when you want to change multiple files. But I'm going to show you some use case, some real use case here. And it's very nice for refactoring. So I'm going to use my uh, IDE to run it so I can use my shortcuts to run the tests. And I'm going to refactor. Like here, the first thing I'm going to do is that, I don't know, like I want to use uh, named parameters here. Uh, so I'm going to convert this like that. I'm going to use, that's why I love uh, all the IDEs that provide these kind of features. I'm going to use named parameters like this. I'm going to save the file. I'm going to run the tests. <laughs> and. Okay, it's cool. It's done. And now look at this. If I check my history here, there was a commit. The code was committed. So every time you make a change, it's going to be committed. But here you should you should name your commit first. So every commit that we come later will use the same message. So here I didn't push, so I can cheat a little bit. I'm going to do it here. And this is clearly. Uh, refactoring uh, cart, OK? So it's not very beautiful because we've pushed everything, so it's too late. But now every commit that will be done by TCR will use this message. And this is quite cool. So I can, OK, now I'm going to use args here instead of this. Oops, sorry. I run the tests. I should run only changed. It should be better. Well, anyway. And now, OK. It's made another commit on top of that. And the cool thing is that you're like, mm, this is tricky. I want to replace price by a price object. Hmm, how am I going to do that? OK, so I'm going to first, I'm going to rename this to price amount. OK, and um, OK, this is cool. I want to rename this one too, to price amount. OK, this is good. I can run the tests. If the tests fail, I'm going to lose everything, and I don't want to lose everything. OK, good. And now I'm going to add, I don't care about this. I'm going to add price, which is a price, which is an interface here containing amount, number, and currency string. OK, this is cool. Is it going to work? I don't know. Great. And now I can use a new parameter here, which is a price. 
which is optional, for example, or I can use an interface and use partial or anything, but this is good. I'm going to just try make sure it works. <laughs> and OK, good. Now, oops, price is equal to args price. OK. And now I can uh, I cannot deprecate this for the moment. I'm going to deprecate this one actually because this one is work in progress. <laughs> okay, and I will use it here though. Mm, I'm going to make okay. So if I have the price amount, I'm going to use it. Otherwise. going to use the amount from the price objects, or I'm going to use the price amount if I don't have it. So I'm trying to make some compatible code here. OK. This is good. I can try to use it here. Uh, I shouldn't. Shouldn't do it right now. I'm gonna change just this one. I have a problem here. The amount is number. What's my what's what's my mistake here? Price. Oh yeah, because price amount is not optional. That's why. Okay. I run the test. Good. Clear. Each time you run the test, that's doing another commit, right? Because of this. Yeah. 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 Every every yeah. time I run the tests, if they work, it's gonna commit and push. Oh, I made a mistake here. You see, it's reverted. Oh, yeah, because I didn't use, you know, I don't know. If I do this, I run the tests. It's not price amount. It was price. So the tests are not passing. So boom. So it's always just a small change. And the cool thing is that you can stop Whenever you want, you have an application which is in a state that is working. You're, you're never like in a huge refactoring, like, oh, sorry, I can't come eat right now. I have to finish this. I'll join you later. And now, the, the, I mean, this is a bit extreme. I mean, yeah. a lot of people who are writing tests, if they write it and the test fails, they, fi they fix the code to make the test pass. Here it's hey sorry your changes you just made are gone and sure you're doing things that are like one line here but you may have uh, something that's a little bit larger in between test runs um, yeah and so is that something that you're actually a practice that you're following day in day out with your development what I exactly yeah yeah it's it's TCR is really a challenge it's an exercise it's more of an exercise than something that you can use in the day to day life but uh, if you check out some commit history on my open source uh, libraries like Wojtax, Terowitz, and things like that, you're going to see some TCR commits there. And TCR can be really tricky, especially if you don't know the APIs of the libraries you're going to use yet. So you're very experienced in things, and it's really not cool for experimenting. So that's why usually what I do is that I use timeboxed TDD for implementing features, and I use TCR for refactoring. 
And TCR for refactoring is really cool because it makes you think about so alternatives like this, like this this special state where you have like this old property, then this new one, then now that it works, I'm gonna use this one and I'm gonna mark it. Uh, the old one I'm gonna mark it as deprecated. Use uh, uh, I don't remember the syntax for link. Uh, oh shit! Oops. Oh, I don't care. Use Price. Uh, <laughs> price <laughs> instead. Yeah. And you can do that. And that way, okay, you're going you're to migrate. And it helps you. It, TCR will really help you for refactoring. It makes you split like a huge problem into smaller problems. And in most cases, you will be like, oh, I don't think it applies for here. But if you work together, if you work with a team on that and you can think about it a little bit more, you're going to figure out that it's still possible for most most of the time so it's even for components here i didn't use the component example but even for components you can use that like you can just and i'll press the button and and the other thing is that you can also cheat a little bit where i love to do this like for tcr like you're implementing something and what i do is that i just comment out everything except the first line <laughs> and i make it work then I comment out the second lines. And, and if it's not possible, if at least for refactoring it's not possible, then maybe we should find out some other design to make it easier. Yeah, super interesting. So I guess the, the concept then is like, you're always moving forward. Because one of the things I think about my mind goes to is, oh, well, I just did like 15 things. And what if I'm not happy with how I implemented that and I come up, with another way to do that, right? And so without this, I would probably just go and refactor that to come up with the, the different solution. But this almost feels like, look, the past is in the past, right? Micro commit passes in the past. We're just always moving forward. So yeah. if you the better way, now you just do the same process going forward and just change your architecture to do this new way. And you're just like, hey, look, we did that in the past. We tried the other, didn't work. Now we're onto this one. Does that make sense? That's exactly that's exactly the point. Like you're always like moving forward and sharing your work with others, so you don't end up in this like refactoring hell. Like oh, it's not perfect yet; it's gonna get perfect, and you and you only had to write this, but you ended up uh, writing a framework. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Wow, super fascinating, interesting to to take this journey and to see all this stuff. Um, and not heard about the the time boxing and then the the whole approach with the TCR. It's it's very fascinating, and I can see it did take a little bit to get adopted to using it, right? Um, but uh, yeah, really cool, really cool. Cool, thanks. <laughs> and uh, yeah, the, and the main goal is really to think about. It, this is really extreme. TCR is really extreme, of course. But the thing is, okay, if I can do TCR for this, then maybe I can make some commits for every two hours or every four minutes or I don't know you choose the time but what I what I'm trying to today is all the huge pull requests you know all the, the the branches that live on for for days so that's the whole point is hmm, I can share this I can make a small move so and it's always it's like evergreen, like you don't have like major changes and every change you bring is already in production and you don't have like this release stress day. So 
have you um, taken this concept of the smaller pull requests and the smaller commits and combined it with the idea of squashing commits when it's time to merge um, so that the message of the work in total of what was done is a little bit more understandable as you look back at the history for a package? For mm. a yeah, that's that's a big question. Do you squash or you don't? But the problem with the collaborative approach and the owning what we've pushed here, if I did push it with the team, is that I push it on the same branch with everyone. It's a dev branch or it's the master branch. So squashing later, I actually, I don't like what, what I call git spaghetti. Like I love like moving forward, like you have one branch and you just code, code, code. It's not what's going to production, but, and actually it's better to have small commits because like if you want, Imagine you have like some bug or some memory issue you, that have been introduced before. It's quite easier to use some features like git bisect to go find the commit that introduced the bug. Like I had the memory leak like this in production once. And the cool thing is that it was a commit, a one-line commit. <laughs> so it, quite, it was really easy to know where it came from. <laughs> but otherwise it can get tricky like once you squash. That's a good point. It's two different ways uh, to think about, and it depends on how you want to utilize the history. Is the history being utilized to essentially document features, or is it to document the uh, coding that was done? Exactly, and that's I love I love that that sentence you just put here. It's the idea here is to separate uh, features from code. Like we talk a lot lots about releasing code, but we shouldn't release code. The code is going to production. We don't care. It just goes, goes, goes to production continuously. But then you release features. And so you need a feature toggle system that enables the features and, and things like that. And don't think about open source. Really think about an application with three, four developers. So you don't care much about the past. You don't have like this, oh, I. It's not Angular, like you don't have to, to handle like, oh, Angular 7, oh, now we have to handle Angular 6 too. <laughs> That's not the, uh, don't have like a community with thousand developers contributing every day. It's not the same challenge. It doesn't, this doesn't work well with open source, I guess, but for, for an application, it might miss things. But, but time boxing would. I mean, if you want to take that idea of working on a feature and you're time boxing within your own branch um, in that, so to basically have like a hybrid approach. That you're yeah. working individually in that time box approach with your little, the little, not a <laughs> little um, to mean uh, in a negative way, but just little like short, uh, quick commits of change this, then change that uh, as you move forward. I think is a really cool idea to hybridize that. And, and yeah, and the cool thing is that you get the history of uh, what happened in the developer's mind. You know, you don't have like just the snapshots of the review at the end. You know, you see, hey, 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 what are you doing? What's that last comment? Where did you use this? When did you introduce this library? No, we don't need that. And it's easier if you do it like five minutes after the commit than two days later. Like, mm, you know, you shouldn't have used that. <laughs> Very true. Very awesome. Yeah, I was going to ask one last thing on terms of getting company buy-in, right, and management buy-in. Because um, like as soon as I see the timer and the wipeout of code of the work that you've done, <laughs> right, even though it's a small period, still like in five minutes, greatness could have happened and it gets smoked, right? Like yeah. how 
a company say, oh yeah, I'm on board with having this process of, but then it's all these other things that you explained, right? Um, one being the fact that like when you go to production and there's a bug or a critical memory leak or something, how do you resolve that? And so much time is spent in that. And so if you can increase that ability to diagnose and identify those, that's a huge dollar amount win. So that's a, that's a good thing. And then all these other things that, that we talk about in terms of, of teamwork and stuff, those are, I guess would be the selling points, right? And exactly exactly and one one of the selling points one of the other selling points i i use for that is the ability to reduce the whip limit of the team what i mean by that is that usually you have a team of five developers so they work on five features completely separate so they don't have conflicts and and then you get this you know, that, that feeling like, hey, oh, I'd love to have a helper for my test to trigger a click <laughs> on my component. And like, oh, I implemented one. Ah, oh, on your branch. Hmm. Can I have it? How can I ask? Uh, cherry pick? Oh, no, I'm going to, uh, I don't know how to do that. And so thanks to this approach, like you, you don't have to put everyone on the same branch, but what I do is that I, I always use a whip limit of uh, half the size of the team, uh, rounded to the to the lowest number. Like uh, for example, for a team of five, we'll work on two features at a time, and I don't care about how they handle it. But there are at there's one branch or at least two, at maximum two, and, and that's the only way of working because if biggest changes doesn't work and the thing is that the cool thing with small changes is that if you have a conflict the solution is really easy it's just you revert it okay i'm gonna rewrite it again you know you don't have conflicts you don't review your code because you pair program you share your code live and you don't review your own code i don't know what if this happens to you like you commit a change and then before committing you're like uh did i put all the files Oh no, I forgot the spec file. I forgot the readme. Oh, oh no. Oh, what's this file again? And you know, so just push the yeah, car. I do that a lot. I'll, I'll make my PR, then I'll review my own PR to make sure I, I've got it all right, right? Before yeah, I yeah. To review it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. All right. Well, we're a little bit over time. So much good content. Yeah, sorry for that. <laughs> I think we probably should wrap it here. Um, okay. Very cool. Let's uh, let's get to some picks, and then we'll we'll call it an episode. Mike, you got some picks? Uh, I'm going to take the obvious uh, one uh, <laughs> that's sitting out there. It's right for the picking. It's already been mentioned in the chat a few times, but um, Angular Eight has been uh, released. Uh, Angular Eight or version eight of the framework, as well as for the CLI, are both uh, out in the wild. Go play, go upgrade, differential loading, and a few different. Uh, things in our live now so go check it out um and then also this past week or a few days was ng vikings and i see a few videos have started to appear so go check that out that out i will be doing the same thing very cool very cool all right Eunice, do you have any picks super cool yeah i got one pick um about um a guy called uh luca Mizzolina because there was this discussion on twitter where dan abramov from react said something about like i don't understand micro frontends <laughs> so it triggered like a huge discussion and there's this guy uh who writes a lot about micro frontends uh just wrote like a huge boss huge article about 
a micro front end explaining the the how and why, etc. So it's very, very interesting. Nice. Nice. All right. And where can viewers find out more about what you got going on and follow you? Because you're such a great teacher and, and amazing. <laughs> so please let, let our viewers know. Okay, so I'll be sharing some links. So I usually uh, share my stuff on Medium. Uh, so it's medium.com slash wishtack, which is my the name of my company. And uh, I've got an Angular guide, which is in French, which is public. And I'm uh, working on some video content uh in french and maybe in english soon too i don't know so if people are looking forward for some video content in english and the thing is that i use the same uh way of working when i'm making uh, video courses is that they are uh free while i'm work in progress <laughs> and then they get, get, get i sell them afterwards so uh yeah and on twitter of course i share my content and on wishtag.io so i'll be sharing all the links for all this content, but mainly on Medium. Awesome. Perfect. All right, Eunice, well, thanks so much for sharing your time, coming on and talking about this topic. Really appreciate it. Thank you. That's cool. Thank you. Thank you for having me. It's very nice and for your help. For sure. We look forward to the next one, hopefully sooner than two years, right? <laughs> uh, yeah. I'll, awesome. I'll time box it to six months. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say one, what I'll uh, say you need to commit or we're going to have to revert that. <laughs> All right. Well, good thing uh, this episode's not going away. It's going to be out there. So we made the timer, so we're good. All we, right. If we don't get a thousand likes, we're going to revert it. Going to remove it. All right, right. It'll be there. All right. <laughs> Have a good one, everybody. Next time. See you. Thanks. Thank you. See you.